0: you show up for engaging conversations we handle everything else ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week reach out to us at contentallies.com. do you employ or pay workers in other countries even if you don't yet you might soon now that remote work is the norm employees have more freedom than ever to move around if you want to keep the best people you have to stay flexible that's why remote makes it easy for companies of all sizes to employ global teams They take care of international payroll, benefits, taxes, and local compliance, so you can focus less on paperwork and more on growing your business. Remote helps you onboard full-time employees or contractors in countries all over the world in minutes on its simple, easy-to-use platform. And even better, Remote helps you rest easy by providing you the most comprehensive intellectual property protection and data security in the industry. They own full local legal entities in all their covered regions, guaranteeing you never have to deal with a third party ever to save you. Money remote never charges any fees or salary percentages. You get access to everything remote offers from payroll to compliance and to benefits management for one low flat rate, no hidden fees, no surprises ever. Just the best global employment solution in the business. Best of all podcast listeners get an even bigger discount. Get your first employee free for 12 months and two months free for any additional employees onboarded during their first year. You can get 50% off Remote's full suite of global employment solutions for your first employee for three months. Just visit remote.com slash leaders and use the promo code leaders. Hey, leaders, welcome back
1: to Leaders of B2B. I'm Noah Tetzner and I'm joined today by John Street. John is the founder and CEO at PAX 8. PAX 8, for those unfamiliar, simplifies the way organizations buy, sell, and manage cloud solutions. John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Noah. Glad to be here. Well, it's so great to have you on the show, John, and I'm so excited to dive into your entrepreneurial journey, your journey with PAX 8. You know, there's a lot that we can talk about today, and I'm excited to, as it were, be sitting at the feet of your expertise. But before we get into a a really good conversation, for those unfamiliar, why don't you just sort of set the stage for us and introduce us to PAX 8? Who is PAX 8? And, um, you know, who does the company serve?
2: Sure, Pax 8 is actually a cloud commerce marketplace. We're on a mission for to become the world's favorite place for IT professionals to buy cloud products. And really, we focused on the IT supply chain, particularly through the MSP channel markets. Um, I started a SaaS company in 2002 called uh, MX Logic, and we attempted to use the indirect channel uh, ecosystem to distribute our product. And I I came away from that experience knowing that that legacy distribution business was really built for physical distribution of product. And we sold that company in 2009 to McAfee. It was a very successful outcome. And I took a couple of fun years off. I've, I've started a number of companies in my career. And we kind of looked at the ecosystem and I was fascinated by the new emerging cloud in fact, the cloud itself—we had sort of conceived or conceptualized it with some of my friends in the early '90s, actually, believe it or not—because we were looking at at the way things would be consumed in this new internet world, and we were talking about network layer services. And so we've been kind of looking at this, and so and in, in the interim, once I sold MX Logic, I started looking at this ecosystem and and. All of a sudden they, you know, in the proverbial crossing the chasm with product, they started talking about the cloud and we, we kind of had an aha moment that this thing had crossed the chasm because they had a name for it. They called it cloud, the cloud. So we spent a lot of time looking at the new cloud ecosystem and we were looking for an emerging SaaS product that we thought would be killer. And, and we looked at the way people capitalize companies. And I realized that what was really needed with my experience at MX Logic was a real refresh, a real rethink of how a traditional IT distribution worked. And what we knew was that, that there was going to be this explosion of new SaaS products and the cost of customer acquisition, which is the key metric for any SaaS company. That the cost for small business in particular was going to be cost prohibitive at the low end of the market, and so you had to have effective aggregation. You needed a cloud commerce marketplace, and so this was the basic conception of Pax Eight. In fact, in many ways, we talked. We talked at length. My co-founder is Klaus Stimler. He's a brilliant guy, and I said to him, you know, I'd really like to kind of create iTunes for cloud apps. He said, this is impossible. And I said, don't you think somebody's gonna do it? And he said, yeah, somebody probably will do it. I said, why don't we do it? If somebody's gonna do it, we could do it. And we really looked at it as a true marketplace, not traditional distribution, but the ability to get to buy, sell, manage cloud products from a single console to manage the whole world and have it all be interoperable. And this is really what's happened with Pax8. In the early days, I was out pitching the financial community, um, the idea of a cloud commerce marketplace, and I got a lot of head scratching going on. And one of the reasons we actually picked this space was because it was a true macro opportunity. We looked at the total addressable market of the cloud ecosystem itself, and it was enormous. And we wouldn't have any restriction on product, And and when we looked at it this way, we also knew that this was a pretty thorny problem to deal with and that it would probably scare off most investors, certainly early stage VCs, because the use of capital, the efficiency of use of capital didn't look too good before you hit critical mass. Building the flywheel effect of a marketplace is expensive. And we had one little advantage going into this. I've had a few successful exits and I have some friends that have a little money. So we could put together a pretty powerful angel group. And we, you know, we think, I think most SaaS companies can be pretty well gotten off the ground for a million or two dollars. We, we went into this thinking maybe five to seven million to get an effective marketplace really driven. And by mid-2016, we were $12 million into it. And it was looking a little bit bleak because we really hadn't gotten a critical mass. And I'm out talking to, to the venture capital community. They don't really understand what I'm doing. And most people are looking at it saying, this doesn't look like a very efficient use of capital. But by mid-2016, we kind of got the first wave of good investors in. And, and in by 2018, we hit real critical mass and now we're off to the races. We recently raised 185 million led by SoftBank. Our post money valuation is a billion seven and we're off to the races. We do have critical mass and people get the concept now, but it took years for, uh, it's one of these things. Maybe you no, know, you've had this in your career where nobody quite gets what you're saying. And all of a sudden overnight, you become a genius. So this is kind of fun for me right now because, you know, people really get it and they see the value of what we're doing and kind of the really fun part about it is a lot of this is just extreme execution. And, and so it's not black box technology. It's just really good selling, really good support, all the really stuff that you have to do to build a strong business. And we can tell you exactly what we're doing and we could still do fine because it's a huge market. You you could look at exactly what we're doing, and we're not sure you could replicate the process because it's it it's really based on having an extremely strong service culture in the company, which we've been you know taking years to build that we bake that into our DNA.
1: John, first of all, congratulations on uh, your recent you know round of funding, 185 million dollars. That is absolutely remarkable. Since 2011. How has the PAX 8 ecosystem and, and the industry that you operate within as a whole uh, changed? I mean, here we are in 2022, and it's a it's a broad question, I understand, but I'd love to unpack this a little bit. Well, first
2: of all, one of the things we recognized early on is in order for the cloud system, the cloud ecosystem to actually work and be interoperable, that the basic programming, the one of the things that had to become much more, um, the, the technical community had to be much better at was to create this API layer, okay? And we saw this, MXLogic was an early SaaS company, or last company, and we saw people that were building enterprise software, but one of the things in order to make an effective SaaS company, you had to build in a technology layer, you had to build in multi-tenancy to run it with efficiency, And so, you know, early, you know, prior to the SaaS explosion, people were making software so that it was used by one instance or that really wasn't maximizing the ability to, to use a public infrastructure. So we saw that evolve in the SaaS model. And, and when we started to talk about sort of iTunes for cloud apps, we realized that if everybody wants to play in the ecosystem, they would have to get really good at APIs. So in our early days, we would go to people and say, we want to write to your APIs. We want to integrate your software to our platform. And in our early vendors, we had to work together and develop an API handoff. And what we're seeing now in the marketplace is new SaaS companies are actually baking into their base development, this API layer. And those APIs are going to get more and more interoperable as we get farther into this and it becomes very transactional because of this. So all, if you're going to be a, a cloud SaaS company, you need to be able to talk to all the other ecosystem. So the develop the SaaS developers themselves have to build this and it's, it's getting more and more robust every day. And we anticipated that, but we also, that was part of our problem in the beginning. We had a true chicken and the egg problem, not only from, we go to, we go to vendors and say, let us sell your product for you through this cloud ecosystem. And they say, who's your customer? And I'd say, well, we don't have many of those, but we're going to get some. And we go to the MSP partners and I'll get more into that and say, why don't you buy your products through us? Cause we're going to consolidate this and make it easy for you to buy. And they said, well, who's your vendors? What product do you have? And I said, I don't have many of those either. So we we worked, you know, the early years, we were trying to get a, you know, get some critical mass around the number of, of service partners that we sold to and get a, an adequate number of vendors. Along with that was also the fact that all of the API layer was very early, very nascent. And there was a lot of it breaks down, people would change stuff, they wouldn't communicate it to us, and we had to orchestrate that ecosystem. But we see it maturing nicely now. And to the point where, you know, we're introducing SDK so people can just write to us now. And and so if you want to get in the marketplace, we can just hand you something that's standard that you can just write right to and, and be right into the ecosystem. So that part really had to happen. Now, I I want to talk particularly about the go-to-market strategy because we looked at the real gap in the in the cloud ecosystem was new SaaS companies would focus on larger enterprise, but again, go back to the metric I talked about, which is the key metric to building a SaaS company is you have to have efficiency If your go-to-market strategy, you have to have efficiency in your cost of customer acquisition. You know, we've seen Bessemer came out with a white paper talking of the CAC ratio needs to be below one. you know people are getting used to the math of it. I happen to be a finance guy, so I always hone in on the math really the 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 idea of this cost of customer acquisition at the low end of the market gets really cost prohibitive so this two tier distribution system there's a very healthy ecosystem of small service providers you know. Companies that do a million or two in revenue and they service a very vital, you know, part of the market. They service smaller business, small business, not the itty bitty business as we call it, but 10 to 50 people, and it's they're, they're a perfect fit in the ecosystem because if you're a 30-person law firm, you really can't afford the cost of an internal IT guy. So you can go to a service bureau, and they'll hit you for maybe $100 per employee per month as a service fee. So if you have 30 employees, it might charge you a $3,000 base fee. And then they basically become your internal IT guy. And they can operate at better scale, but they still have trouble getting to the next layer of scale. So these guys needed a real you know, partner like us that's vetting out product. And what we've really done different than other distributors, the the, the traditional IT distribution is we said I know I know these guys very well. They're 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 really great technical help. They have they have a really strong uh, rapport with their customer, but they're not salespeople. They don't know how to schlep new product. They don't really understand that. So what they really want was somebody from the market that could say, "Here's the products that you need to sell. Here's how to sell it." But even more importantly, they needed they needed to have real. Easy, they need to hit the easy button. They're busy, busy guys. So what we did early on, and this is where we really excelled in the market is simple, really easy to provision to, to decrement and, and, and increment users in the ecosystem, and we reconcile billing. One of the complexities for an MSP is they get the invoices from the vendors. They have to then spend, you know 20, 30 hours a month. Reconciling all the invoices and then rebuilding it out to their partners and we 've completely automated that layer for them so it's a real it 's a real easy thing to rebuild resold product for them in the marketplace so that 's kind of the the service that we offered and We now have about twelve and a half thousand active buying partners, and we service two hundred thousand small businesses through that ecosystem
1: Wow. That's absolutely remarkable, John. And, you know, no doubt that story has been insightful for our, our le- leaders tuning in today. You know, here we are in Q2 of 2022. It's a, a very unique time we're living through. There's a lot of uh, challenges that you know tech companies are are experiencing across the board you know particularly around hiring and retaining talent and so forth H- have has pax eight experienced those same problems and if so i I'd, I'd love to sort of unpack that a little bit here if perhaps you have some some insights or advice on what's worked for you this is my
2: fourth significant startup so and i i will say that early in i my first gig as a ceo i was 29 and somehow I had the good fortune to just have common sense enough to treat people like gold. And so we had a healthy culture in my first real attempt at this. And I've gotten more deliberate about it and and as I progress with companies. My my sec, second significant startup, I, I tried to collapse a layer of, of the speed of hiring because there there's a there to me, there's kind of three waves of people that you get into a new company. The very first guys in are your true, you know, pioneers, and the second wave you kind of get in, you know, you get some good people, but there's a lot of people that are sort of maybe a bad use of the word, but it's one that comes to mind is a little bit of misfits. They're good people, but they're not quite. The ones you can go with for the long run. And third wave, you start to get people that the company itself gets less risky. And so you get more professional management. in. OK, but the key to all of this is the philosophy that we've been following for years, which is the employee comes first. I, I listen to people that say, you know, the customer comes first and it's it's kind of backwards. In my opinion, it's always been that way. If you take care of the employee. The customer is going to have a good experience because the employee's happy. It doesn't matter how much you sugarcoat it. If you say the customer comes first and you don't treat your employees right, the customer is bound to have a bad experience. So we start by making sure that it's uh, that the employee comes first, and so we we close ranks and take care of our own. We're we're tough on our people, but we're very very dedicated people, and we look at success of beyond. You know, the obvious financial success, to me, there's three legs of success of a company. One is financial. The other one is community success. You need to be a good corporate citizen in your environment. It's just smart business practice. But the third one is employment success. And we preach this all the time internally. We want you to have a good career. We hope you stay. We like you to stay. But if you come in here, we want you to be able to... If you leave after a couple, three years, that you look back on this and say, I grew my career. It was a great experience. I learned a lot. One of the real advantages we have at PAX 8 is we're in, you know, a very futuristic good game to be in. We attract lots of the best and brightest young people and and people of all ages really, but people that are building a career, it's a great field to be in. You get exposed to lots of product. You're not You're not exposed to one, just one little thing. And it's it's a growing and it's a futuristic industry. So we have sort of a built-in advantage of attracting really good people. One of the things that I've watched over the years is even at the investor level, there's been a real evolution from when I was in my 20s. Back a long time ago, I won't tell you how long ago. Back in the '70s, okay, that you had stockholder return. It was everything was shareholder return. Everything was return on investment driven. And it was all around the shareholder. And capitalism itself has evolved to sort of stakeholder return, which includes employees and includes includes the shareholders obviously, but includes the customer and the and the and the employee. And I think that there's a lot more enlightenment in capitalism itself, it's evolving very well, especially the, the under generations are much more, they're much more interested in the meaning of their work, which is right. I I know when I was in my twenties, I was very taken by the fact that you you had this sort of cold corporate experience and everybody was very driven towards the profitability and there wasn't much, there was very little discussion around the employee well-being and things like that so we started doing that years ago and and have carried it through to pack Eight, where we have more we have more um actually formality around it than i've ever had in any other company and it's and it shows um we we you know we're we're good at self-promotion i mean we clearly do like everybody else does we we do in, internal uh, net promoter scores, which is very high. We've done well in the glass store ratings. But recruiting is a big deal, and we know that people are attracted to good companies. So we've had a real leg up, one, from an industry that we're in. People are attracted to the industry. And secondly, we have a, a stellar reputation as an employer, and so we tend to get better people. And then that that whole system feeds on itself if you do it right. And I'll add one little of my own original twist to this. Um, I'm, I'm involved in a think tank called the Institute for Cultural Evolution. It's a bunch of great guys. And one of the guys on our board is John Mackey, who uh, wrote Conscious Capitalism. And they came out with sort of a sequel to that called um, Conscious Leadership. And and uh, I had a little blurb in the book. It was kind of fun. But um, the guys who wrote it, I know him pretty well. He said, I I... Basically, out of one thing that they've never heard, of, and it is creating a sense of conspiracy. Okay. And, and I'm a big believer in this. We, we, we're out to conquer the world. And those of us that are inside the company tent, we know we have this conspiracy. And it's kind of fun to have this sort of common theme. You know, our mission is pretty clear. We want to be the world's favorite place for IT professionals to buy cloud products. And we're doing about it a little differently, and people really people really appreciate that. So that's been really helpful.
1: Well, you know, John, you've recently, pax has recently received, uh, you know, $185 million in funding. You know, here we are uh, sort of at the beginning uh, of, you know, 2022, and, and in a way, perhaps uh, a new era, a new era coming out of the you know COVID-19 pandemic. You know, as, as you look to the future this year and beyond, I guess, what's sort of on your mind? What do you see unfolding for the future of Pax8? Well,
2: the most obvious thing we're doing that what people really see right now is that we're really focused on this MSP industry and enabling them and really starting to build a and tremendous flywheel and getting into you know hundreds of thousands and and plan for for millions of small businesses around the world. We're starting to explain globally. What really is going on though, what I think about a lot, and this is one of the things that's pretty cool about PAX8, we're not, you know, there there's been a, a number of companies, you've seen it over the last few years, and and I've been around long enough to see this sort of motion, but you know, people, you know, they get on the path to go public. They, they, um, they, they kind of get to the public offering and they're not really thinking beyond that. That's sort of the big mission out there. And you saw a bunch of companies go out in the last year at a two to four billion dollar kind of market cap. And, and then sort of what's next. And of course, they're caught in the downdraft right now, which is really unfortunate because you need to come through an IPO and keep, going right through it. But we look at Pax8 as a 50 to 100 billion dollar market cap business because the total addressable market is so much bigger. And the story goes a little bit like this. Yes, we are going to be, our plan is to dominate the small business market over the next few years. And we're really getting a toll and a reputation to do that. But the fact is, the way IT itself is delivered is going to become so much more transactional. And we look at eating the world from the bottom up. It's much easier to go up market than it is to go down market. And I think one of the real challenges out there is going to be for the big system integrators in the coming years. Because this transaction layer, this, this uh, API set, is going to get so uh, you know fluid and so facile that... Companies that come in enterprise right now, they look at cloud solutions and they do these big lift and shift operations. And the fact is, nobody's going to, there's still going to be a huge explosion of additional SaaS products. The tool sets are going to get more and more precise. There's all these ISVs that come out. And the ability to have it be interoperable takes away the need to do a big system integration. If you're using a standard ERP, anything will talk to it. And so you'll be there's a real democratization of small business, but it also carries up through large enterprise. And so large enterprise and small business are going to look a lot alike because you're going to have a complete democratization of the tools. And we want to be right in the middle of that ecosystem. And now you look at the cloud as a four and a half trillion dollar total addressable market, and for us to be transacting two, three, four hundred billion in revenue of the transaction layer itself. Is not very far fetched at all, and that's why we look at this as a, as a much bigger opportunity. So, you know, it's fun. It's fun to imagine where this can really go.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Well, John, thanks so much for your time today and for joining me on the Leaders of B Two B Podcast. You know, I've learned a great deal from our conversation, uh, and I know our listeners have as well. But certainly, I'll put links to to Paxate and. Your LinkedIn and so forth in the description of this episode, where folks can find out more and uh, get connected to you and your great work. Uh, but before we sign off today, our our leaders tuning in today, our our CEOs, our our you know CMOs, our our VPs of marketing, our our C-suite listenership of um of tech company executives. You know what what sort of final thought would you leave them with today?
2: I tell them one thing is, and this is a I'd say, make sure you keep it personal. One of my pet peeves in business is when somebody says, it's not personal, it's business. And I, I think that's just exactly backwards. I think you need to keep it personal. One of the fun things we do in our company is we greet all our new employees and we make them tell a fun, interesting fact about themselves. Because I don't want to know that they're a programmer or a salesperson. I want to know that they're a dad and a musician And so we take it upon ourselves to really get to know each other and that personal camaraderie, that personal camaraderie, that sense of conspiracy really matters. It helps you build a great culture. And I think it's important that we know each other as humans. And it's even more important as we get more remote, we're doing lots of fun stuff around that whole idea of remote development, but the future of work is really important. And, and, The younger generations have it right. It really does matter. You need to have meaningful things to do. People spend half their waking life working, and they might as well have fun. We try to make it fun and keep it light. Keep it personal. It should be personal. We should know each other. We shouldn't just show up at work and sort of know people. There's a personal element to it. And it becomes a lot more fun when you're doing stuff with people you really like and enjoy working with. So I, t- I would encourage everybody to bring joy to your workplace. It'll go a long way to the productivity of your workforce.
1: I absolutely love that. Well, John Street, thanks so much for coming on to Leaders of B2B. Okay. Good to talk to you, Noah.
0: Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.